As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, along with Tom Keen and Jonathan Farrow. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Sree joins us now. Sree Kocha Govindan, the senior research economist at Aberdeen. Sree, wonderful to catch up with you. Let's just start with your initial reaction to that latest decision from the Bank of England. Thank you. So we were expecting a 25 basis point hike today. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of debate beforehand. And I think it's quite interesting to see that three-way split with two members voting for a 50 basis point hike. There are a lot of justifications for that, actually. Um, but what's really shifted at, in our mind is the activity data is a little bit more sluggish. And what the Bank of England and many other central banks face is a clear trade-off between inflation, tackling inflation, and then managing growth as well. And in the UK, the growth picture has been quite sluggish throughout the year. So that's that's a, a key sort of overview for now. I mean, going forward, we do expect there'll be another hike in the next meeting. Another 25 basis points is going to be needed. Inflation is very sticky, and it's that international comparison that's very interesting. Even though we had a downside surprise in the last uh, inflation print in June, core services still very, very sticky. And this pace of deceleration is a little too slow in comparison to other countries. And that's a key problem for the Bank of England. So you can understand that three-way split and that division there. So can you help me understand then the difference currently between what the UK is experiencing, what the Eurozone is going through, and what we're witnessing here in the American economy. What's the big difference between the three at the moment? I think the one of the issues with, um, this actually applies to all of them, is the tightness of the labour market. But I think the UK has a slight differentiation there in that uh, some of those wage pressures are quite accelerated. They've, they've still accelerated, even though inflation, headline inflation is starting to roll over. There is some good news on the on the horizon in terms of energy costs and food prices. These are starting to decelerate. But the UK labour market is particularly tight. And um, part of that has been COVID related. There's a, a higher proportion of long term sickness being reported as part of one of the reasons, um, but also lack of migration. There is a, there is a, some frictions there in the labour market that, that are more persistent. Do you buy, uh, in- do you buy the uh, assessment that the Bank of England just came out with, Sri, that we're going to get inflation below 5% in the United Kingdom by the end of this year and below the 2% goal by 2025? 
I think that will be quite challenging. I think what's necessary, unfortunately, is a recession in order to trigger that deceleration in core inflation and core services. So perhaps inflation, headline inflation, there is a, a good trajectory on the horizon. In July, we'll see a big drag from energy bills being cut. So the, and food prices, which had been particularly sticky in the UK, that was another difference for the, for, for the UK as well. That's starting to decelerate as well. But it's the labour market and core services issues, um, wage pressures, industrial action. All of this is quite a heady combination. So it's going to make it very challenging unless there is a, a recession that, that helps trigger this uh, further deceleration in core prices. There is a phrase we hear at all three central banks at the moment. It's sufficiently restrictive. Lagarde talked about that in the last week or so. We heard that from Chairman Powell as well. We're hearing that from the UK is there evidence based on what you're seeing, Sri, that they are sufficiently restrictive? I think we're very close to the peak, the terminal rate, actually. Um, we, as I said, we do expect another 25 basis points. But from there, it really depends on you know the data. As they say, they are data dependent, but it really depends on how much that core services actually starts to decelerate. It doesn't seem that they're quite restrictive enough. But I think it's quite interesting in today's statement, they did add a line to really emphasize how rates would stay high for a meaningful period of time. So that's something that's very much in line with what we're expecting. Until the recession does materialize, we can expect high rates for, for a period of time. So that policy restriction, past and future, are still feeding through into the economy. And that's still going to be a trend we'll see. Sri, one of you to jump on and get in front of the camera for us in response to this Bank of England decision. Sri Kochagomadan there of Aberdeen. We've wanted to do this conversation all week. It's great to have him with us in the building in New York. It's John Stolfus, Chief Investment Strategist over at Oppenheimer. John, good morning to you. Good morning. So nice to be here in studio. Hey, it's great both. to have you back, buddy. Oh. Excited to see you. Price target, 4,900 yes, on the S&P. I want to give you some credit first because the original 4,400 price target was done year-end last year, right? Yes, sir. Looking out. So December you were bullish. 12th, in fact. You were bullish and you were right to be. Now you're even more bullish. Yeah. Tell me why you're even more bullish now. Uh, well, it looks like things are coming together. And uh, it period of transition, no doubt about it, fear of toxic brews and things like that <laughs> uh, 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 when you have changes. But the overall thematic is that, that we would say it, it it's an end to free money and it's a good thing. Uh, we have been during a period, as a result of the pandemic, we had reached a period of free money, both on the largesse of two administrations in terms of providing uh, uh, liquidity, and then the Federal Reserve as well, the Fed, Fed falling behind the curve and all that. Uh, but the good news is the economy is showing remarkable strength. If we look at the GDP, okay, uh, based on all that's happening, corporates are are navigating through a, a, a transitional period remarkably well, with quite a, quite a few sectors still showing good growth. Uh, and then on top of it, the consumer and uh, 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 jobs are remaining remarkably resilient. So with the resilience that we see and this transition, and when we say it's a good thing, free money uh, is not a good thing if money is uh, costs enough so that corporations have to pay for the privilege of borrowing money. And, and bond buyers get something back. CD buyers get something back. This is a healthy environment. It's bad for memes. It's bad for, it's bad for cryptocurrencies, we would think, ultimately. Uh, we also think it, uh, it, it's bad for highly leveraged players, and they will bemoan what's going on 
Uh, and you'll hear from them all the time what a bad thing it is, but it's a good thing. We've heard it, John. Okay. Oh, well, yes, yeah, so far. I know. So let's go through some earnings later. Sure. Apple and Amazon. Yep. Let's go through some weightings. Apple mm-hmm. on the S&P yep. 500, more than 7.5% yep. of the S&P. Amazon about 3%. So we're getting 10% of the S&P later, about 17% of the Nasdaq 100. You say the move in yields higher is a good thing. We know year to day, a lot of this move has been multiple expansion. Yes. What's the relationship between what's developing in the bond market and the kind of multiples we should be putting on some of these names? Well, I think I, I think that the fact that the multiples, you know, are, are are up there, they're still not up to nearly 24 times where I think that we hit in 2020, okay, on the forward multiple of the average, average five-year multiple of the S&P 500. I think it was 2020 when it hit uh, 23.9 or something. We're around 20 right now. Uh, this is, is going to happen at a period like this because the market is looking forward uh, the next six months from here. And we think expectations are that we're going to see uh, continued resilience in earnings. A lot of that comes in from the utilization of cost cutting through additional uh, uh, technology. And it's not, the, it's not the dream AI that's still up ahead. It's the AI that we have today. It's the robotics and a willingness to, to move towards it uh, 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 in, in, by many corporations and the need for it. So we think the, the other thing on multiples is you've, when you look at the landscape, you've got concerns about social security and where are people going to put their money? It, it, it should be likely, depending upon their needs and objectives and tolerances to risk, the old disclaimer, uh, is they're going to have to take a look at equities for their intermediate to long-term returns. Fixed income is a great diversifier, and now with the yields that we're seeing, this is healthy, we think. But equities traditionally have been the place where you get your gains not to prepare for retirement, at retirement and during a retirement where one may live longer than one ever expected that one would live. This is a great longer term case for equities. In the short term, Mm -hmm. to get to a new record at a time when there are a lot of people decrying the higher yields and you can say that whatever the motivations are, yes, maybe they are just simply leveraged and they're talking their own book, shocker. But there is a question about at what point higher yields challenge the case for significantly further gains this year. Worth saying, uh, uh, most certainly, was you know, I've, I've been in this business since 1983. So when I came in, you know, people were still saying that the, the rally from August of 82 wouldn't last and it was going to be the end of the dollar and the end of the, the equity markets. And instead, we had a phenomenal bull market that came out of that. At that time, yields were much higher than they were on a nominal basis. Inflation was higher as well. And uh, equities found ways for profitability, and the stock market moved higher. I can remember speaking with clients and urging them to buy equities, and they'd insist on buying fixed income. And I said, look out for the callability on the corporates, you know. And uh, looking back, you know, gosh, I I was right. And and that gives me hope here. When, When we speak to people about mortgages, uh, and people are, are bemoaning a, a 7% mortgage. You know, my first mortgage was 10%. My boss's was 16. His boss's was, I think he got somebody, I don't, I don't know if it was his boss, but it was someone who had a 22% mortgage. And we all lived through it. And, and the Fed has been remarkably good. It can make mistakes. No, It's not infallible. But the Fed overall has been remarkably good at taming inflation, and also during that period we had deflation or disinflation that came up. It's remarkably good overall uh, over the long term if the leadership is good. 
Does your bull case lose some of its luster if the Adam Posen world, we were just speaking with Adam Posen about the idea that inflation might stay around 3% and the Fed might tolerate that, does that change your bull case? No, it doesn't. In, in fact, 3% inflation would be, when we, when we think the target of 2%, uh, we, when we often wonder, well, why does the Fed really want to go back to that? We can remember when economists just a few years ago were, again, bemoaning seems to be an operative word of the day. It was they were they were bemoaning uh, the fact that growth was at two percent, inflation was at, at less than two percent, and they said an economy the size of the U.S. needs three to four percent. Be careful what you wish for to to grow. So we'd have to say three, we'd, four, we don't, we don't want to look at four, but we can remember during the Greenspan era when the target was four and we said, gosh, if we, if we could get 4% inflation down to four, we'll, go, we'll sign up for life. <laughs> you know, it, everything is relative. It's, it's, it's the, it, what we hope we can bring, you know, the, the old timers in this market is a sense of context to all of this. And in that sense, that's what keeps us bullish at this point. And being wrong is hard and sometimes it's just part of the job. We would have these conversations through last year. Yes. Your call didn't work out, and I would ask you things like, what are you learning? What are the lessons you've taken from the year so far? When you're right, like you are yep. and have been through the year so far, what are the lessons you're learning now as uh, you work through your process? What are the kind of mistakes you can make by extrapolating things out, extrapolating things out too far too soon? Those kind of things. What are you learning at the moment? Oh, terrific. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it, the, the, what we've learned, especially in, in, over the course of the last few years, is anything can happen. Anything that can happen that can create a catalyst uh, for bears and skeptics to take profits without FOMO, okay, during a period like this where, you're, where you've got a secular bull likely driven by technology that can benefit all 11 sectors, okay, that's the underlying theme. But you have to be careful. So you need to be diversified across market capitalizations. You want quality. Uh, you want to have representation in fixed income at the short end of the curve for an equity buyer like myself. If you're uh, if you're a bond buyer, you can you can even look at laddering, or you can go up into within corporates probably to the, to the MTN uh, range, and tax frees look good. Okay, but uh, it it would be one that it, it certainly is. Diversification remains key. Patience and right sized expectations, because these markets are highly prone to rotation and rebalancing because of the technology. The communication, both not only within the markets, but by the Federal Reserve itself. What a journey, John. Hey, last couple of years have been nuts. John Stolfus there of Oppenheimer. John, thank you. Thanks thank for being you. with us. And it's good Great to see you in person. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I am so excited to bring in Torn Parcelli. Tom Porcelli has been... Uh, off for a bit, and now yes. you're in a new seat. Yes. Chief U.S. Economist at PGM Fixed Income. This is your first interview. Welcome. Thank you. You've had some time off. I have had some time off. You look um, incredibly rested. I feel it, too. It's all the yoga. <laughs> well, in your new you <laughs> know, awesome. yogic state of Buddhist uh, <laughs> reflection. Exactly. When you come back in, you had previously been talking about how the Fed was probably sufficiently restrictive, to yes. use their words, yep. and didn't need to hike further. They have hiked further. Yeah. People are talking about maybe they haven't hiked enough and that there is momentum underpinning some of the inflation and the market yes. that previously had been underappreciated. Yep. What's your view? Yeah, look, I, so first of all, thank you. Good to be here. Um, good to be sitting at PGM. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been great so far uh, in my grand total of three weeks, um, but it's been, it's been awesome. Great team. Um, yeah, look, I think that, you know, my, my, my view in that regard hasn't really changed much. I mean, I, I think that in so many ways, I, I, I think that the Fed was fighting yesterday's war on inflation. Um, I mean, inflation is softening. Um, you know, I, I think what we need to make a distinction here between, though, is, you know, and I think Powell laid this out so perfectly, uh, which I haven't said many times, but I, th I think he nailed it. Um, I think, you know, what you want to see is inflation slow credibly and sustainably. Um, th those are his words. And, and I, think that's, I think that's where we're going. So I, I think the, the sort of the, the construct around that, though, is does that mean you have to get to 2%? And I think the answer to that is I don't think we do. I, I, I think that's the ultimate objective. But I don't think that that is a roadblock to the Fed cutting rates at some point. And we can still see a scenario where the Fed actually is cutting rates, um, you know, sort of sooner than later. I mean, not, it's not necessarily this year idea, but I can see a scenario where the labor backdrop is, is, is slowly deteriorating, which it is right now. I mean, jobless claims notwithstanding, you know, we're in sort of a funky seasonal window for those. Um, but I think if you get toward the end of the year and if the Fed's forecast for the unemployment rate materializes, um, and if their inflation forecast materializes, I think that might be enough for the Fed to say, hey, you know what, maybe we're going to take back some of this aggressive accommodation. And if they did that, I, it could be fuel to the fire from an economic perspective. I mean, you can actually have, wind up having a really good 24. So it's a, sort of an interesting thing that we've been kicking around. There's something you said that yeah. builds on what Adam Posen was talking about that's really important to highlight, that inflation may be okay at yeah. 3%. And the Fed may even verbally acknowledge this, yeah. that they're okay with this and they're not willing to compromise the labor market in order to get inflation down to the prior target. Are you expecting that to be explicit by the Federal Reserve? I, I don't think that they can say that explicitly. I, because then I think all of a sudden it throws into sort of question the, the credibility around inflation and, and, the, and the inflation target, which let's just be clear, the inflation target is literally a finger in the air, right? I mean, I, there, there's no real literature that says 2% is the number. Um, I, I think... The, the narrative is, I can see a narrative evolving this way. It's really easy to say that you're going to beat the heck out of inflation 
um, when the unemployment rate's sitting at the lows. Um, I think it's a completely different dynamic when it, um, the unemployment rate is actually starting to drift higher. Um, and that's a scenario that we could easily see play out over the course of the um, c coming year or so. So I think that's how the Fed is going to be able to justify, hey, look, the credibly and sustainably idea, it's happening. We're, we're seeing it actually drift lower. Um, but now we have to start to worry about the other side of the mandate, the, the labor mandate, and we can easily start to take back some of this accommodation, uh, some of this tightening. I think that's how the narrative can. So I don't think it has to be like this big, weepy, hey, we have to cut. Um, I think it could be, hey, we're going to cut because we want to extend the cycle. There is a larger question here yeah. about what that means about interest rate sensitivity of this economy yeah. and whether we're in a new paradigm where there isn't necessarily the same kind of sensitivity yep. and rates can be higher for a longer period of time. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, one of my uh, one of my prior bosses loved to tell the story about how they how they knew that the Fed cut rates. Right. It wasn't as simple as looking at your 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 Bloomberg screen. I mean, you literally had to go to the Fed. You had to get one of the H reports. You had to do all this analysis. And this all happened over the course of multiple days. Um, what? Why do I highlight that? Because in, a, in, in an age where Fed officials relentlessly have a microphone in front of them, um, this notion of forward guidance, I think, is very real. Um, so I think the, the Fed can impact the term structure much further out. Um, and so I think in that context, yes, I think, you know, the Dudley piece that a lot of people were talking about, I think that that's fair. I think that, you know, the, the economy feels the effect of this much quicker. I, I would add one other thing, though, that's really important. Um, and, and maybe this is blunting the blow of this. You think about corporations. Corporations are sitting on a mountain of cash, and they've termed out a lot of their debt, right? So you don't have that impact right now. And I think that's really an important idea. And I think, and I'm sorry, I'll be really quick on this. I think that's an important idea because when I think about labor and the possible deterioration, thank goodness we got that productivity number because productivity has been poor. And when you think about the hoarding idea, and, and, and Mike mentioned this, and I think this is such an important idea, I think the hoarding idea could actually come back to haunt the labor backdrop. Because if you have hoarding that's taken place as productivity is actually not performing that well, all in the context of companies' ability to pass on prices, which is now diminishing, um, all in the context of consumption, which is you know sort of pretty soft, what do companies do to defend profit margins? They will tend to go after labor. So I think it's a really interesting idea um, that is not being talked about enough. Um, and yeah, sure, I think that the, these companies probably have um, deflected some of that because they've been able to turn out debt and they're sitting on a mountain of cash. It's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting idea. That's, that, that is fascinating. Yeah. Going forward, as we take a look at when that recession does come to pass, yep. everyone seems to be pushing out their yep. expectation of that. Definitely. Have you as well? Yeah. So um, our our call at, at PGM is that we, we do not suffer through a recession, that it's really more of a this sort of, we're calling it weakflation. Um, it's, you know, it's a, a dynamic where um, uh, inflation remains north of target, but growth remains pretty sluggish. Um, and that's what we expect over the coming year. Um, the risk to that is what I've just highlighted. If, if companies actually um, decide, okay, margins have compressed enough, um, you know, we're going to have to take it out of somewhere, that's a risk to the labor backdrop, um, to be sure. But, but I, I, I like our view that, um, that, that things are probably going to hold, um, hold in there and not go through the recession line. I, I would say one quick thing, if I can. You know, it's interesting, this idea of, of recession um, and it not materializing. 
It's been interesting. One of the things that we've talked about, and again, this is um, a view that we have now at PGM, is this sort of, you know, it's almost like a mid-cycle slowdown sort of dynamic, right? Like 94, 95. Um, and that's something we've been talking about at, at my, in my prior job. Um, and I, I, think, I think about that today, um, and, and for some of the recession calls out there, think about the things that were in recession, right? Consumer spending on goods was in recession. Um, housing was in recession. CapEx, right, was down, what, in two of the last four quarters. So there's, there were a lot of segments of the economy that actually were performing really poorly. It just didn't all sort of conspire at the same time. So it's just, again, another interesting sort of angle on that idea. Tom Whatever that's worth. Tom Porcelli, wonderful to catch up with you. Congratulations. You. Tom Porcelli of PGM Fixed Income joining us here. Joining us in the studio, I'm pleased to say Tom Wagner, the Birmingham City Chairman and Co-Founder and Co-Chairman of Nighthead Capital. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Purchasing Birmingham City. I think we've just got to start with this. We've spoken a lot over the years about Americans getting into English football. And Lisa and I were talking about how many leagues there are in the United Kingdom. Why this league and why this club? And if you were thinking of all of these clubs as opportunities to invest in, what was it about something of this size and this location that got your attention? Well, after a year of really looking at the landscape of English football, we were drawn to Birmingham for a number of reasons. England's second city, one of the youngest, most diverse populations in all of Europe. It's a city on the rise that is going through a significant transformation. So all of that made the city of Birmingham quite attractive. Uh, and then add to that a team that had been uh, underinvested in for a long period of time. And, and frankly, to us, seemed quite a bit like a sleeping giant. You know, it, it seemed impossible to us that you have the second city in England with the named team in the championship. And so we felt that there was a huge opportunity to really make a difference. As you know, that league is highly competitive, very, very difficult to get promoted because you also have to face the teams that got relegated from the premiership sure. who have got all the money to try and get back up a league. So why this league? That's what I'm trying to get my head around. When we think about the lower leagues of English football, a lot of Americans have been introduced to Wrexham and what Ryan Reynolds is up to. Lower league club maybe get a little bit more bang for your buck, you get that promotion, you get some more. Right. Why this team in this league? Well, it's a team that had been in the middle of the table for a significant period of time, and we felt that there were substantial resources available. And by the way, this isn't just about the men's first team. We have a spectacular academy. We have a women's team that we think is poised to be, you know, one of the best in England. And I think when you, when you take all those things together, coupled with a very large natural fan base, we just felt that the team was underperforming, meaning the club itself was underperforming from the perspective of treating the fans properly, being a real part of the community, and embracing this incredible natural fan base that it has within Birmingham. So if, if we provide a product that is actually commensurate with the value of the city, we think that there'll be great things ahead for the club you know, and beyond. So I know you from a previous life when you focused on distressed opportunities and you came in here and you said not distressed opportunities, turnaround situations, <laughs> yeah. which is applicable yeah. to this. And I'm wondering at a time where there is so much interest in investing in sports and mm -hmm. football, if this is the playbook more people are fi following as Middle East money kind of 
pushes everybody out of the top leagues. Well, I think that when you look at the investment from sovereigns, there it's very difficult to compete in the the highest level of the top tier in football. Um, but there's an enormous opportunity to compete in you know everything else within within football across all of Europe, frankly. Uh, but I think English football was particularly appealing to us for the reasons I cited earlier. I mean, it's a it, it was really very much about Birmingham and what we believed was a city that was going through a significant transformation. We felt that the, the club could play a big part of that. You've taken a 45% stake alongside Tom Brady. Lisa and I were talking about this. Is Brady just along for the ride for branding? Has he put real money into this venture alongside you? Yeah, he is not here for promotional purposes. And obviously today is all about, you know, having Tom uh, be very visible. But really what it's about is Tom bringing his expertise following a 23-year career in the NFL, which is highly competitive, as everyone knows, where he had unparalleled success. I mean, it's if you think about the fact that Tom played in 10 Super Bowls in a 23-year career, won seven of them, um, was only, you know, favored, I think, twice, if I remember correctly, uh, in those Super Bowls, that's a pretty incredible track record. And his, his level of ex- excellence never really tapered off. So it's about bringing those learnings to Birmingham. And so Tom will chair our advisory board. He will have a significant role in health, wellness, nutrition, you know, effectively human sustainability, um, and will play a role in how we think about uh, player interaction. So will we get to watch what it means to have human sustainability on a Netflix series that's coming out shortly? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I think, you know, those things would be uh, fun and exciting, but our, our principal objective is to really bring what worked for Tom and and having known him for a long time and witnessed firsthand what went into his his success over a long period of time, you know this is these are legitimate um, uh, activities that really do play out in a positive way and how and how our athlete performs. We can't just let we'll see hang there. We've got to dig a little bit deeper. Are there talks with anyone currently about doing something on the media side? I think you know if you look at Birmingham, there, there's one individual that I think really stands out um, as as it relates to producing fantastic content, and that's Stephen Knight. So if we were to do anything along those lines, we'd have to engage with Mr. Knight and see whether or not he were interested. So he's a wonderful guy. He's produced some and, and created some amazing content over the years. So it'd be really exciting if something like that could happen. Race the question as to whether when you came up with the appropriate price to play for this, whether content was something you were thinking about at the same time in the same way Liberty Media did with, say, Formula One. Was that a consideration? Yeah, everything is a consideration, right? And it starts with what is the product that we're delivering to the fans? It has to be something that is worthy of, uh, you know, the city, the people, the fan base and their passions. And and when we went to uh, our first game, it was not consistent with what we felt the fans deserved. So that will that will be the beginning point, right? It's it's about an overall experience, and that experience goes beyond just match day. You, you want to provide content. You want to provide enjoyment to the fans all the time so that they really feel a part of the team and they can be proud to support the team. And ultimately, part of that is
is drawing in fans from beyond simply Birmingham. I mean, I think Tom's involvement brings in a lot of attention. Having Undefeated as our kit sponsor on the men's and women's team. First time the same sponsor's been on both uh, the men's and women's jerseys. Doing that, so we have this connection with an L.A.-based streetwear brand. These are different things. It brings a level of attention to the club that I think is, is demonstrative of how we're going to approach this, which is to do things differently. Is the monetization going to come more from the content and the branding of it or the actual ticket sales, right? Is the idea sort of the larger thrust all of, of the it. team? All of it. It's got, you can't do, I think in sport today, you can't be successful doing one thing properly. You have to do everything properly. And this is a business, you know, to some degree. It's obviously one that has a lot of passion behind it. But we have to think about, as you would in any business, getting every element of the business right. So we have to think about promotion. We have to think about the product that we put out. Not just, again, not just the tickets and the product the pitch, but also what's available for the fans. Do they like the kit that they're able to buy? Are there good pieces of swag that they, they would enjoy wearing, right? All of those things matter. And then you can think about partnerships, and obviously commercial partnerships here will be critically important, and we're looking for the right commercial partners to, to begin this journey with us. I promise that corporations that step up and, and become a partner with us will have a long ride that they won't regret. It's early days. Let's talk about defining success. Have you seen that success already through season ticket sales picking up ahead of the oh new season? Absolutely. It's been... Is it a multiple of this previous year? It's... Well, we, we're... The stadium capacity is what it is, but we are well ahead of where we've been in prior years. We're going to increase stadium capacity by roughly 50% um, with some repairs that had been long needed. So we'll open a substantial number of additional seats. There's safe standing that's going in, which is something that the fans really want. Um, there'll be much better hospitality. I think everything in that regard will, will increase, but ultimately the goal will be to you know keep people coming back. And that, and that means that the match day experience has to be enjoyable. And I think we'll measure success based on, you know, can we make continued improvement? I mean, everyone would love to see a spectacular season right out of the gates. Um, I think we have a team that's perfectly capable of doing that. But ultimately, it's about, you know, keeping our eye focused on the long goals, which is consistency. So let's do this. Let's agree now. I'll get a camera, you get Brady, and we'll go down to St. Andrews in the new season and we'll do a bit of content ourselves. That would be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be <laughs> great. We'll That'd be happen. great. We'd love to see that. Let's yeah. do that. It'd be fantastic. Very cool. Tom Wagner, thank you, and good luck for the new season. This is very cool. Tom Wagner there of Nighthead Capital. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us now to talk about all of what to expect and how to understand it within the spectrum of all of the earnings that we've seen is Anurag Rana, Senior Technology Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Anurag, thank you so much for being with us. I want to start there. When you take a look at, for example, Apple, how much are you looking at the smartphone cycle and how much are you looking at Apple as the juggernaut in a market that is completely dominated by the iPhone? Yeah, if you look at from Apple's point of view, it's it doesn't really go up and down in terms of cyclicality based on what's happening in the smartphone market because it's a higher price point uh, product, and uh, you know people who buy that really don't uh, you know change their buying habits. They buy it when they need it. But frankly speaking, this is going to be a very boring quarter for Apple when it comes to new iPhone shipments because um, next quarter is or next month is when the next uh, iPhone is going to be launched, and that really spurs the big uh, upgrade cycle that will come in the December quarter. So really, it's you know from our side, it's going to be a bit boring when it comes to Apple. I think what we really want to hear about it: Have we seen a rebound in the services business? Uh, that's where the higher margin is. That's where uh, some of the growth is. But overall, I'm, I'm not expecting any major surprises on the upside or the downside for Apple. Has too much been baked in, though, with respect to hopes of some sort of artificial intelligence announcement or a new product? Is this basically uh, something that can't really meet the expectations that the stock rally has given it? No, I don't think there is a AI story here per se, in a sense that they're not going to be launching any new products. What's going to happen with Apple is a lot of their, you know, the operating system will have new enhancements, which they always do every year. Um, that will have new capabilities, you know, something like live transcription. When you ask Siri some questions, it's going to get smarter over time. But that's a natural progression of uh, just the product development. We are not expecting any major AI announcement for either from Apple or from Amazon. Meanwhile, at Amazon, people are looking very much to cloud spending at a time when there were some questions around that with Microsoft and Azure. How much are you looking at that specifically to understand what companies are willing to spend to build out some of their cloud services at a time when there have been sort of conflicting signals? Yeah, we are not expecting cloud to be uh, strong or uh, rebound. We actually think they even may guide to slower growth next quarter. But having said that, you know, probably next quarter, could be an area where we see the bottom of this uh, growth rate and that we can perhaps uh, start looking for a rebound over the next 12 months. Largely is a factor of easier comparisons. But when it comes to um, cloud usage, I think we all know that IT spending has been slowing down for some time. Microsoft, I think, um, you know, the, partially the reason the stock had a negative reaction was because people were expecting a rebound in those sales. And uh, we are not seeing that at this point. So given that, how much is there other business really doing well at a time when we are seeing some questions around the delivery services? I'm thinking about Uber, for example, which their their down spot really was the freight, this issue of packages just not being in the same kind of number as they used to be. You know, Shopify reported last night and they showed really good uh, GMV growth. I think Amazon should report a similar number in a term, in a, in, in, in the sense of growth rate compared to last year. Given uh, you know as big they are, their uh, the size of the growth may not be even close to that. But you know, frankly speaking, from Amazon's point of view, the investments they made during the pandemic on shipping 
will start to see benefits. We are already starting to see benefits in some regions uh, of the country, but shipping is going to be a big differentiator for them over the next two to three years. So a lot of people are paying a very close attention to everything that Amazon and Apple have to say, in large part because they are such behemoths in the indexes. They account for a significant portion of uh, the total. And there's a question, especially as you say, everything's going to be pretty much in line. What's going to move the needle in a way that could shift sentiment for the entire market in a meaningful way? See, I would say the you know entire tech market has been fueled by a lot of optimism around AI and what it could do. But frankly speaking, these two companies are not taking part on a lot of those discussion, largely because you know Microsoft has a very close relationship with OpenAI and ChatGPT because it runs on Microsoft's backend. But for Amazon, they really need to come out and talk about what is going to be their best strategy going forward in terms of allowing people to build more AI applications on their platform. You know, from Apple's point of view, they have to come out and tell people that they're not going to see any more supply chain hiccups in the next three months, which is, I mean, obviously the most important quarter uh, going into next year for them is the fourth quarter of calendar year uh, this year. Um, that is really the thing that we are looking for to make sure that there are no problems uh, for the new iPhone Pro or the, the Pro Max when it comes out and, and you know, people can buy it at the, at the right time. What are you expecting to hear from Apple about China at a time when they are looking to that for part of the expansion? And we heard the opposite story from Qualcomm. Yeah, from a China point of view, again, I think last year was a point where they had really bad sales in that area because of some COVID-related stuff. You know, this year, we think there should be, again, a rebound over there because the numbers were so low in, in calendar fourth quarter of last year. You know, we should see a rebound over there. Uh, you know, once again, from a Chinese consumer point of view, you know, people who can afford to buy, a, you know, a Burberry bag or an LV bag, they are the ones who are buying the, the higher-end iPhone models. And the, the rumor is that the new iPhone 15 Pro Max, which is the highest of the high-end, will have a you know phenomenal camera. And our analysts in Asia think that's going to be a big growth driver uh, for the Chinese smartphone market uh, from the higher-end point of view. So these last two big tech companies will really wrap up the entirety of the FANG or the FANMAG uh, stocks, as I like to call them. What's going to be the big takeaway as we assess all of their earnings as a whole? See, for me, the big takeaway is that uh, the AI is story is real, but it's going to take several years to play out. It's not going to be that in two quarters you're going to you know, start seeing massive uh, revenue upside. And, and Microsoft, I think, is the biggest example because uh, in the software world, they are perceived to be the biggest beneficiary of this. But you know, with that big rally in the last you know, six months, the stock only was down 3-4% after earnings. So I think people are getting the point that it is going to take some time for that revenue to be recognized. Yeah. Um, and I think that's yeah. the big story uh, for all of us. Anurag Rana, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's going to be a very busy day for you. Anurag Rana of Bloomberg Intelligence. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, and this is Bloomberg.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.